We are all about JFL this week on Inside Jokes, one of its most iconic shows just for the culture, formerly the ethnic show. It's way on the streets of Montreal this summer. We have the headliners all right here on Inside Jokes. Roll the intro. Welcome to Inside Jokes on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to Inside Jokes. I am Vince Tedesco, hosting this week. And as we mentioned off the top, Just for the Culture, formerly the Ethnic Show, is returning at JFL, uh, a star-studded event, but one of the comics headlining that festival and headlining that showcase is with us. And uh, it was, uh, I believe, a year ago he joined us as well. Mr. Jean-Marco Sorazzi. Jean-Marco, how are we doing, buddy? I'm good. Happy to come back. <laughs> Uh, we were talking before we kind of got underway that, yeah, it was about a year ago and we kind of chatted and there was a hint, a hint maybe, that you could possibly be at Just for Laughs last year. Sure enough, we found each other. We said, hello, you were there. But oh, what a year it's been. Because now... <laughs> I'm back. You're back and you're kicking ass. Uh, you're on Just for the Culture. The culture, the ethnic show, I guess it would be, right? Yes, I am. I think uh, they sent me there to Canada's revenge for all the smoke you sent to New York City. Oh. Uh, so uh, that, that's that's it. That's what you get. Is that still a big it, topic? For you guys I mean, workers? it's gone away, but it was it was it was intense. I mean, luckily I was on the uh, the road for some of it, and whenever I got homesick, I would just eat a pack of cigarettes. It was <laughs> so apocalyptic and scary and weird. They said. Uh, when it was going on, they said being outside was the equivalent of smoking six cigarettes. So, you know, after after sex, I just crack open a window. It was so brutal. Uh, funny enough, where I am in Toronto, we, it was a bit misty at times, but I mean, it wasn't, I mean, you saw overcast. There wasn't nothing, it wasn't some of the images I saw in New York. So if you need to blame anybody, blame Montreal and Quebec, because that's where I will. I will. I mean, listen, it's fine for you guys. We don't have health care here when things go south in a couple of years from all the smoke we inhaled. So uh, I was in Toronto last week, too. I've been all over Canada. You were? I was, I was in Toronto, a one-nighter at the comedy bar, and then I went to Edmonton. I just got back from Edmonton yesterday. Oh, look at um, you. We're going to run for so, citizenship pretty soon. <laughs> good, good. We might need it. Uh, why don't we kick off this interview because so much has happened in a year. I do recall an interview last year where it was kind of your, uh, as I put it, your R. Kelly bit that made you kind of viral and it kind of went mainstream. But now what I'm noticing about you and, you know, your surgeons on TikTok, you have a great podcast, The Downside, but the comedy clips I see from you, and I don't know if this is just me as a comedy pundit, as you will. I take notes for this sort of thing. I like to view the art craft and see it in its kind of true form. But you have elevated your game. Um, well, at least I've seen that you've elevated your game with crowd work. Because every mm. time I see you, you are talking to everybody in the crowd. Not only that, is you, like, your delivery and your setups and the way your brain is moving, just to even interact with them. You are so quick now. Is that something that you kind of have to harness as a skill? Is that a superpower? No, I mean, listen, you're only seeing the good ones. I don't okay. upload the crowd work clips where I go, what do you do for work? They say it, I go, cool, cool. I had a lot of it. Edmonton, I had a lot of crowd work. What do you do? I'm a mechanic. Cool. 
And I'm like, all right, no clips from this show. Uh, it is, you know, I, I, I had to get better at crowd work. The reason you see so many comedians do crowd work is because we hit a certain point where there's too many people seeing it and we can't put our material up there or we want to fine tune it even more. And it's a real, I got to tell you, it's a real debate in the comedy uh, community right now. There's a, there's some people saying you're only putting out crowd work. You're encouraging audiences to heckle and talk. Sometimes like people come up to me, they go, Oh, we were hoping you'd make fun of us more. And I'm like, Oh no, that's just part of it. But online, (laughs) that's all you get. So it's a real it's a real mixed bag that we're figuring out but i like it i get bored i'm not the kind of comedian that just like does the strict hour so i like to incorporate it and sometimes you you have some really cool moments that that you know it's uh uh, i do enjoy doing it now as you said like social media has kind of been the name of the game these past years and obviously what you post online is obviously the good stuff but how healthy is a bomb these days to just eat it, just to make sure, you know, hey, I'm not I'm not all that's cracked up to be. I kind of needed this tonight. It put me in check. But, I mean, how healthy is a bomb for a stand-up? I think a bomb is, is very useful. It's humbling. It reminds you that it's always, it's always possible. I think as you, you know, I feel like I've, I've a little bit more fans this year. And it is... I can see how comedians get bad because you go to these places, people are so happy to see you. I'll do a weekend with, with fans and I'm like, wow, that new joke's done. That new joke's done. And then I go to the comedy cellar where no one knows who I am. And, and I go, oh, that was not done. Oh, this still sucks. That line still doesn't work. So you got to have the bombs to let you know where your weak points are. And it hurts. It never feels good. But I think like, I remember seeing Bill Burr go around the city working on some new material and he really would like go deep in a bit where he'd lose the audience and then he'd keep going. He'd keep searching and you'd see him and you go like, that was a, that was a rough set. No, no offense to Bill Burr, but that's why Bill Burr is so prolific. And that's why his standup has stayed so strong despite being so popular. It's because he's willing to like, get the audience to a place where the, he loses them and then he keeps digging. And that's the only way to find gold. Wow. That's a great, that's a nice little metaphor there, huh, Marco. Now, I mean, I, as we said, social media is the game, but podcasting is also another game. Is that just kind of coming with the territory that you, you, you're stand up, you're working, you're touring, but you also got to have a podcast to kind of combat that with. Is that, yeah, someone someone told me they said do a podcast that where it feels like it can be your notepad, and in yeah, in the I sense of like, yeah. So I I will work out bits or I'll, I listen back to the episode so I can edit them, and I always hear moments where I go, ooh, there's something there, ooh, that bit was funny to talk out, and I do it with one of my good friends, uh, Russell Daniels, who's so funny, and we have on other comedians and other weird guests, and uh, I, I I think it's. A, it's necessary because we live in a world where people develop parasocial relationships. So if you want them to visit you on a Friday night, they need to love you. And for a lot of these people, that means they need to hear you talk for like, you know, an hour and a half every week. Uh, uh, And then I love doing it because I get to talk out ideas that maybe aren't right for the stage or aren't developed or it's just something I'm complaining about. And it's it's really good at fine tuning uh, my comedic voice. 
do you think that podcast nowadays is sort of like the clique for comics coming up? Like, obviously, you're doing this with a friend. You and Russ are, are kind of combating back and forth. It's kind of you're there. You're bringing up other people with you. It's kind of like your clubhouse where, yeah, you can kind of shoot back material back and forth. Um, one bit, like if you both have a bit that you kind of set on the podcast and you're both kind of riffing on it, who takes claim? Like, hey, I want, uh, to, no, I wanted to use that. <laughs> I think comedians, you know, I've, I've had conversations with comedians where if I really love something, I'll write them. I'll say, hey, if they said the first thought, I'll be like, hey, are you doing this on stage? And then sometimes they're like, no. And I go, okay, cool. Would you mind if I did it? So there's a cordiality. You, yeah. you just ask. That's yeah. all. <laughs> Here's Jean-Marco Sorenzi. He will be in Montreal July 18th through the 26th as a part of Just for the Culture. Formerly the ethnic show. I don't know why I always say that like a disclaimer. But catch me in Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> More with him when we come back right here on Inside Juke. Stay tuned. More with John Marco. My name is Gianmarco Cerezi, and you're listening to Inside Jokes. Welcome back to Inside Jokes. I am Vince Tedesco, sitting in with me, Gianmarco Cerezi, who will be in Montreal July 18th through the 26th as a part of Just for the Culture. Gianmarco, as we kind of hinted a bit, your name is very Italian, but you are Italian and Jewish. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly way more Jewish. Really? Uh, and then they, they named me Gianmarco. It's like it's like my parents knew the Nazis were coming back. So they said, <laughs> here, we'll give them a cover. Because uh, I was going to ask you one more of the side. I, I mean, well, let's make it a broad question. What more of, the, of, of that ethnic side does the funny come from? I would say the Jewish side. <laughs> but I mean, there are some Italians. Sure. I think I think the Italian side gave me the the uh, the anger underneath. It's definitely it's it's true. It's neurotic, but there's a there's a rage underneath that uh, that I think comes from that Italian red blooded Italian. So uh, it's funny. I'm performing in Italy, and uh, sales have been better than they should have been. And I'm worried that I'm going to get there, and they're going to be like, "Whoa, you're just a Jew." <laughs> you speak any Italian? Uh, I, did, I did Rosetta Stone three times. The only word I remember is Rosetta. That's it. <laughs> you'll, I don't you'll, know. You'll nail it there. Trust me. Don't worry. They'll, where in Italy are you performing? Uh, in, in Milan. Okay. But like, you know, Italians, they hear my name to come up. They, they're like, buongiorno, come va? And I go, oh, no, no, no. I don't speak to Italians. So yes. we'll see how it goes. You were signing there for a minute. You were using sign language. <laughs> yeah. I gesture so much. Even deaf people are like, shut the hell up. <laughs> um, we talked about the podcast, The Downside. How did this kind of come to be? Because as we said before the break, and I kind of wanted to, to touch back on it, it, it is a way for comics when they have that podcast outlet 
to kind of springboard some new material. But I mean, is it sort of a rite of passage nowadays that yes, people see you, people are fans of yours. They want to get a bit more. A podcast route would be the way to go. But how does that sort of come to be? I'm going to do a podcast and it's going to be about what? I think I, listen, I when I was thinking of the podcast, I had all these ideas. I, I had one idea. I said, oh, I'm going to have someone tell me their favorite book and I'll read it before the podcast. And I had a friend, thank God, who's Carly Hugendike, who was like, first, don't do that. That's crazy. Do something that you're willing to do once a week, if not more. It's going to take up so much time. And I said, well, okay, what kind of mood am I in that, that even if I'm in a bad mood, I'm willing to do it? And I said, complain. I like to complain. <laughs> I, like, I like to hear people. I, I, we had a taxidermist on recently, and I, I don't want to hear the nice, sweet stories. I want to hear the weird things. I want to hear the person who said, who paid her to taxidermy her, their, their cat and then kept writing them emails after being like, you, you know, trying to befriend them and get weird. I want, I want to hear why it sucks to be a taxidermist. I want to hear why it sucks to be uh, 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 working at a morgue or a comedian or a doctor. I want to, I want people to, I want to feel better about my life listening to others talk about the crappy things about their lives. And, and that's how I figured out what I wanted to do. And you're right. You have to have a podcast. People, they need more. Yeah. I think after podcasts, every, co comedians are going to have to start releasing like their the footage from the colonoscopy. I think people need they need to know more. They want to know who you are. We're so lonely. None of us have friends anymore. Our only friends are people who make podcasts. So that's why I'll give it all to you. I'm giving my whole life. And uh, well, I kind of wanted to kind of mail out something from 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 you right now. Um, five questions. Answer them. Honestly, I'd like to say, but I mean, sure. you've been open and honest with me right now. But I'm going to start off with your biggest comedy influence. Uh, Jesselnik, I think, changed. Anthony Jesselnik changed. I Anthony Jesselnik, I'm trying to compare yeah. to your humor, though. Oh, yeah, I just think the dark twists and a real surprise. I, I like the math of comedy. And wow. and and mm -hmm. kind of falling in, I I I fell in love with him like after I started stand up and really uh, was like, oh, this is the bar I want all my jokes to meet. I want it to be shocking. I don't want it to be expected. And I try to have a a real kind of baseline that every joke needs to be above for it to be worthy to tell on stage. Uh, best advice you ever got from somebody in this industry. I had a joke uh, that ended with, um, it was about my girlfriend uh, seeing me do something. And at the end, one of the tags was, I'm just kidding. I don't have a girlfriend. And I had a comedian named Paul Mercurio who was like, you're better than that. Because it worked. It worked on stage. It always mm -hmm. got a big pop. And Paul Mercurio was like, you're better than that. And it's very hard for comedians to give notes to other comedians because we take it personally. It's mm -hmm. it's impossible. But, but he made me go it was one of those moments of like oh this does work on stage it does get a laugh but it really is just a version of a not kind of joke i have a girlfriend not it's an it's just a, a slight variation on that and understanding that oh just because it works doesn't mean that it's that it's worthy of of my act right. and uh i i try to apply that as best i can with with all my jokes Interesting, interesting. I like that comedy math. Uh, if you weren't a comic, what would you be doing now? 
Um, I think I would be working in advertising. I like I like I, 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 I yeah I, I just like the idea of manipulating masses of people <laughs> to buy things. Uh, biggest comedy collaboration. Who do you want to work with? Whether it be another comic, a director. I mean, you have a theater background. Uh, so I mean, is there anybody that you'd love to kind of sink in your teeth with and kind of collab with, work with? Oh my God! I mean. I just think to like be in the presence of John Mulaney would would certainly be a dream. Just yeah. just to see him work out new things. I think that's what the. I uh, know, not yet. Okay. We'll see. There's hope. I mean, yeah. There's hope. It'll happen. John Mulaney. Um, when it's all kind of said and done, and the career has to come to a close, and we got to put a stamp on everything, the biography or the autobiography, the book that is John Marco Sorenzi. <laughs> What would that title be? Oh my God! This is a, a fly a flyby question. I I I, I uh, we, 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 answer at your will. It would be something like, at least he tried. <laughs> that's amazing. That's that's a that's a great book. It, yeah, I mean, are you thinking about putting out a book? Because that would be a great title. Jean I, now I have. At Hell least yeah. he tried. <laughs> At least he tried. Oh man, that wow! I mean, I mean, you've done a hell of a lot more than try. Come on. Uh, yeah, sure, I sure. Say, I would say you would be a fundamental, not fundamental. Okay, I, you are a staple in the New York comedy scene, would you not? To a degree, but then you start going around the road, and you're like, "Well, I'm not even here anymore." Well, but sure, know. why not? Now, is there ever a move to LA, or is New York always, will always be home? I, I, I think you know Matthew Broussard said, "You move to New York to get good at stand up. You move to LA to get bad at stand up." And I think oh. there's a degree of like, I, I, I'm misquoting him, but he, basically it's that there's not a lot of stage time in LA. I think I would go a little bit crazy. I think there's a the only way I'd move to LA is if I was truly felt like I was headlining so much on the road that when I got back home, I was okay taking some time off. But I think the bar in LA for stand-up, I don't think, I know, is lower. And there are times in New York where I have to follow Jeffrey Asmus or or Daniel Simonson or or Caitlin Palufo, and I go, whoa, (laughs) I got to keep working. And you... I, I don't think I would get that as much in LA. You, wow. I need to be on shows. This is very cocky to say, and I'm not saying I'm not saying there, there's some great comics in LA. But when I'm in New York, I'm on shows where I go, "Oh my god, that shook me. That made me feel bad." And that's that keeps you sharp. So when I'm when I'm ready to like, ah, okay, I'll do a crappy sitcom, make some money. That's mm-hmm. when I'll move to LA. That's one of the reasons why I love you, buddy. You are a master of the art form. Catch him in Montreal, July 18th through the 26th. He will be a part of Just for the Culture. He is Gianmarco Sorezzi. Thank you for your time today, buddy. Where can everybody find you? Socials. At Gianmarco Sorezzi. Everywhere. It's just my full name. And then listen to my podcast, The Downside. Downside. You got it, buddy. See you in Montreal. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, brother. Take care.
Namaste, I'm Zarna Garg and you're listening to Inside Jokes. Welcome back to Inside Jokes. We're all about Just for Laughs, mainly Just for the Culture, formerly the Ethnic Show, as we like to say. Big thank you to Jean-Marco Sorezzi who joined us on the first half. But now a woman who melted my heart when I saw her the first time. Uh, obviously, it was online. You're rolling, you're scrolling through clips. And then those Comedy Cellar clips come on. And Zana Garg was there, killing it on stage. Zana, we welcome you to the airwaves right now. How are you doing? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. And I wish that I melted my mother-in-law's heart, but that never seems to happen. No. <laughs> <laughs> so the biggest question, because I want—it's—it's it's such a crazy whirlwind. You came from India into New York, straight to New York, or were you? Did you float around the U.S.? No, I lived in Ohio for many years. I oh, did wow. college and law school in Ohio. My sister still lives there now. So, you know, like all immigrants, I first went to somebody I knew in America. I was like, where am I going to go? And my sister had a house there. So I was like, I'm coming. And like all immigrants, we move in and then we don't move out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when I was the final or the, the jump to, to say, I want to go to New York and I'm going to be a stand-up comedian? Right. No, no, no. The, so that's two big jumps. So I moved to New York after law school for my first legal job. And and also to so, you know try to trap an Indian man because it wasn't happening in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And 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 that did help. That did work in New York. I will say that because a lot more fish in this sea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but then I I got married. I had kids. I was a stay at home mom for sixteen years. And w- when my youngest went back went to kindergarten full time, I was really looking to get back to work. And I couldn't figure out what to do because law still didn't feel like the right option. Also, because I was a really bad lawyer. I was so bad at it. I was like, I should probably not do this, you know, save humanity from me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my, but my kids are all American. They're born and raised here in New York and they, their friends always come by and hang out at our house and think I'm so funny. So my daughter said, why don't you just do stand up comedy? And I was like, that's not a job. (laughs) And she's like, no mom, it's a job. Like people pay money to do this and to watch this. And I was like, what do you know? When a kid suggests something to their parent, the parent's first reaction is, what does this kid know? Right. You know? But How old was your kid, daughter when she said that? She was 16 years old when she said that. Wow. And she's 20 now. So she, uh, and then my three kids ganged up on me. Because what happened is that for 15 years, I made my kids do things they didn't want to do. You're going to take that piano lesson. You're going to take that, you know, soccer class and it's good for you. And then suddenly it became, oh, now mom is too scared to try something new, you know. <laughs> and they almost on a dare sent me to an open mic. And and that first open mic just changed my life. Wow. Do you remember it still, the open mic? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was like, what am I doing? This is a basement of a Mexican restaurant. Like, I didn't know what goes... <laughs> I had never even been to watch a comedy show, let alone ever think about perform. Indian people don't do that. Like, we do not seek out happy experiences. That is not our culture. So, you know, I wish JFL did a show that highlighted spelling bees, math competitions, because those would be flooded with Indians. Oh, my Lord. But we don't know what to do with comedy. (laughs) I got to ask, what law were you practicing? I was in litigation, civil litigation. Oh, my Lord. And to jump from that on a dare. Yeah. From your daughter, nonetheless. 
into yeah. stand-up comedy. And yeah. now, so what, four years in? Yeah. How much have you thanked her? Oh, look, it depends on the day. When people hate <laughs> what I do, I blame her. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I am completely not above throwing my kids under the bus. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm like, she did it. It's not me. <laughs> Go talk to her. <laughs> I always I always like to say that your attraction, like the, the your, your, your popularity stems from your old school values in a new school kind of world that we're living in, this new generation. And here you come on the scene and it's like you resonate with so many people whether they're Indian or not, depending on the culture, because, hey, you're talking to a, a guy with an Italian background, and I sat like fourth row at your comedy show in Toronto, just because how you are saying everything, your style, your brand, your voice on stage manifests with so many people. And it's just you being you, essentially, no? I yeah. Mean, uh, I mean, I practice it all? I'm trying to not be me. I'm trying to be like somebody much cooler, but it's not coming. <laughs> right. Because I mean, one of the questions I always ask is like, what was your comedy influence? Did you have any? Or you no. know, now four years in, do you like, oh, I want to be like that or that would be, I, I can see me doing a joke I like mean, that. I've learned a lot now. Like since I got in, I also have like some sort of mental OCD. Like when I want to do something, then I really, really, really just keep spinning like a top until I do it. So right. now I've learned a lot about the comedy business and the comedy greats and, and all of that. I would say there's some aspect of Joan Rivers that I that I identify with, you know. Joan Rivers, nice. She spoke about her career, her world and her career and made her people feel like they were part of her life. And, you know, and essentially any mom comic, any female comic that does family stuff in the South Asian and East Asian culture, we just don't happen to have anybody who does that kind of thing. It's so taboo. Even the male Indian comics who do comedy, big comics, they've been doing it for years. They don't take on their mother-in-law. You'll never hear them because <laughs> culture, that, that is like a Marvel level supervillain in our culture. And we, you do not go down that road, you know. Has she ever commented on your comedy? Oh, commented. She's busy trashing me on every reviewing platform. She she is single-handedly responsible for dropping my rating half a star. She what? got all her friends to give me one star on Amazon. Otherwise, I have five stars. If you look look the analytics up, I have five stars from everywhere in the world except India. And it's all her friends. Well, what does your husband say? Because a husband is supposed to love his mother as well, but be supportive to his wife so he must be in a pickle he of course he is and of course i yell at him and blame him for everything <laughs> <laughs> spoken like a true wife oh yes. zara I, I i love it now this as we said it's going to be your first time in montreal what are you expecting i mean uh it's canada you've been to canada as you said you, yes. you've been to toronto montreal yes. is a different beast as it's yes. somewhat french yes uh, I'll, I'll give you a heads up there's a I lot of french heard. Yes, I, but what have you heard? You excited? I've heard good. It's beautiful. I've heard it's beautiful, which I'm pretty sure it's going to be. And yeah. um, the the festival itself, like, look, it's a very it's a very prestigious thing to be a part of it. Uh, between you and me, I can tell you that I've been told that because I wouldn't know. Okay. You know, Just for last year, it's the biggest I, comedy festival in the world, right? So I, in my mind, the only way I keep doing what I do is. Essentially, I treat every show like an extended dinner party in my house. 
because okay. otherwise otherwise i'm going to get overwhelmed like oh this famous person is here and this successful person and what am i doing there and i don't allow my head to my brain to go into those spaces i'm just there telling my stories and like you know and you guys should probably eat during my show because otherwise it's going to stress me out as a mother you know just eat something drink something and listen to me trash my mother in law like how you know how hard can that be <laughs> Her name is Zana Gar. She's got uh, a couple of shows happening at Just for Laughs. Uh, one of them yeah. being Just for the Culture. You have her other show, Truth Bomb. All new yes. material, I hear. All new. It's my f- full new hour after Amazon special dropped. So I uh, encourage people to watch the Amazon special, uh, One in a Billion, and leave a review. Watch it to completion, please. That helps me. And leave a review, five stars only. <laughs> because i need to counter my mother's mother-in-law's trashy friends who are giving me one stars and uh, and then come watch my new show truth bombs uh, where you will get more of what you already probably like hopefully from my work and also my social media you can see so much for free so awesome. much. Yeah, we'll, you know we'll, i was we'll catch comment. up more with zarna we'll catch up more with zarna after the break uh, stay tuned on inside jokes right here coming right back with more jfl uh, just for the culture My name's Graham Kay, and you are listening to Inside Jokes 640. Welcome back to Inside Jokes. I am Vince Tedesco, and we are all about JFL. We are all about just for the culture. And with us is Anna Gog, who said uh, a whole new onslaught of, of shows in Montreal, just for the culture being one of them. Truth Bomb, her new hour, uh, is also being showcased in Montreal. Uh, where did you come up with the title for this? Oh, because I wrote the show, I was I was like, what premises do I want to explore and dive deep into? And it kind of felt like I just wanted to set things the way I see them. There's so many things you cannot say in the world right now. You know, yes. your eyes are seeing it. Your eyes can see the truth of something, but you're not allowed to say it because for whatever reason. But I have decided that as a comedian, it is my job to just say it so everybody in the audience can breathe breathe easily mm-hmm. and uh and and i was like you know what that's what i should just call it it's a truth bomb like you don't like it well well no one likes it you know what but you have to hear it of so course. uh yeah what, so what that, do you kind of see the 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 way comedy is right now as you kind of mentioned that there's so many things that you can and yeah. can't say i mean it doesn't really i've seen you know you you, you are evolving as a stand-up comedian you you touch taboo topics but 
you're, you do it with class and, and there's a certain style towards you. But yeah. for the industry itself, because it, it can be ugly and it can right. be those people online. How do you deal with all of that? I just say it. I can't overthink all this. I, I am going to live every minute that I have and, and do what I believe is the right thing to do. Uh, I've been told over and over that that even my dark, difficult jokes come from a place of love. I'm trying to scare people, but no one seems scared of me. That is a problem I'm trying to fix. <laughs> You're too lovable. <laughs> you know, I'm like trying to like scare people. Even when I was a lawyer writing legal motions, I would have opposing counsel saying, your motion made me laugh. I was like, you're supposed to be frightened when you get a letter from me. But somehow this seems to be a recurring theme. And maybe I have been put in this position where I can say complicated things in a certain kind of way. Correct. You know, there, there is a way in which you can say things in a way in which I think it should not be said per my aesthetic. So I go with my heart. I, I operate with, with clarity at, in what I'm trying to say. And I focus on that and I just do it. Because the world has now become so crazy. And I think it's going to take a mom to like slap some sense into everybody. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, as we mentioned, your Toronto show was in May. I was I, I happened to be there. Uh, and you mentioned the title of that show as well was One of the Billion. Yes. And I want you to kind of go behind the meaning of that because it kind of resonated with me as well. I'm a child of immigrant parents. So when I heard your story, it kind of, uh, you know, it, just, it, it struck me to my core because I'm like, yeah, you know, you, you came a long way to do a lot of things. But now that you're here, you're making a name. But that one in a billion, I want you to talk about that because, yeah, the, the, there's a billion of, of Indians. Yeah. I mean, the, the culture itself, there's so many. But for you, what does it mean? Well, you know, uh, I I didn't know when I started comedy how rare it was for an, for a South Asian Indian woman to do this type of comedy, it feels like the most natural thing to do because I have Jewish friends, Italian friends, friends in other cultures who do this type of comedy, but our culture has stayed away from it for any number of reasons because we, you know, we take everything personally. South Asians don't really understand comedy. So <laughs> every joke feels like a personal attack, which obviously it is not for the most part, for the most part. If my mother-in-law wants to take something personally, fine. But... <laughs> But um, I think that I came to the realization that like literally on this whole planet Earth, how can I be the only one who's doing this? You know, I was a stay-at-home mom for 16 years. And I really thought when I came out from under that world of diapering and formulas and bottles, that everything is being done by everybody. You know, mm -hmm. when you don't know, you just assume everybody's doing it. And when I had this realization that nobody is really speaking in this space, I started feeling like, okay, you know, this is that that I'm doing something special, feeling some pride in it. And also, we are so many. I mean, just, just the fact that there's a billion plus Indians in this world, there's something funny about that. Because we don't <laughs> even really have sex. So that's a whole another mystery. <laughs> How is that happening? You know, there's so many one billion references I can make about our culture. And and I think the, the big realization has been that it, that whatever i say about my culture seems to resonate with a lot of other cultures yes that that is very much and you know what a, a lot of people in that specialize in cultured comedy as there are a few there are a lot here in toronto you have the italian comics portuguese persian uh the asian comics south asian comics but they have bits when they talk about their family and it's always personal stories of course instead of comedy you make it personal 
but other ethnic ethnicities, trying to get that word out, other right. ethnicities relate. And when you speak, yes, people relate, but it's your stature, it's your being, it's who you are. As you said right off the bat, you're, you know, you're like an auntie, you, you, you are a lovable kind of uh, persona that people kind of flock to. Um, well, I'm trying not switch... to be, just for the record, I'm trying not to be, but yes. Yeah, but well, do you ever want to switch it up? Do you ever just want to come up on stage and just be a like, no, I, I try. Like, I, I'm not kidding. I, I try to be like, why are you doing this? You know, I, everywhere I go, I want to yell at people. Like, if I see somebody like being an artist, which right. is going to be challenging at, at JFL, right? Like, right. I just feel like, why didn't you take the accounting exam? Why? Why are you doing this to your life? Like, at <laughs> least do, you know, learn coding on the weekends. Yeah. And, it's a and good I, profession. <laughs> right? And I try. And then no one gets scared of me. I don't know. I'm not working on it. I love that you're always working on it. I love that you'll be in Montreal first time at JFL. It is the biggest stage that you're going to be on, surrounded by a lot of your peers. A lot of guys you know in comedy and girls you know in comedy are all going to be there. I can't wait to see you in Montreal. Her name is Zana Gard. She has two shows, Just for the Culture and Truth Bomb, July 18th through the 26th. Just for the culture, and then catch her on her own show, Truth Bombs. Arna, thank you so much for your time today, and I can't wait to see you in Montreal. Thank you. Thank you for coming to my show and supporting my work. I can't wait to see you in, in real life. Perfect. When can I, where can everybody kind of follow you online? Give a little plug. I am at Zarnagard on every major platform. Beautiful. I love and I'm stuff. working on OnlyFans. Oh, you're working on OnlyFans? Yes, yes. You got to subscribe to right here, Zarna. Can't wait <laughs> to see you in Montreal. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That is our show this week. I want to thank Jean-Marco Sorezzi and Zaina Gog. They'll be a part of Just for the Culture, Formula of the Ethnic Show, uh, at this year's Just for Laugh Festival. Their shows run from the 18th to the 26th. Follow them online. Catch all their clips on social media. And be sure to be in Montreal for the biggest comedy festival in the world, Just for Laughs. I'm your host, Vince Tedesco. You can follow all our shows on Global News Online, under Inside Jokes. Listen to all the podcasts above and beyond, right back to the very beginning. Thank you again. We will be back next week. This week's Comedy Rx is Zarna Garg. And there's some things I'll just never get used to in this country. Like here, people love to say, I love you all the time and to everybody. <laughs> like, I love you in the morning. I love you in the evening. Going to school, I love you. Came home from work, I love you. Empty the dishwasher. Really love you. <laughs> so much love. I hate it. I've never said I love you to my husband. No, it's okay. It's only been 23 years. What's the rush? But if he said it to me, I'd know he's cheating on me. With a white woman. Where else would he learn this nonsense?